Can I just admit something to you right before we get into the sermon this morning? Sometimes when I read the Bible, well, in fact, most of the time when I read the Bible, I find myself feeling very inadequate. Very insecure, man, because when I read stories of some of the men in the Bible, it's like, I could never do that. I mean, think about a guy like Job. Uh, Job was a man full of faith, and at no point in any of his trial did Job curse the Lord or sin with his lips. I mean, that man had something that, just frankly, right up front, I don't know if I have. There's other men in the Bible, even when you move into the New Testament, you see guys like Paul. I mean, the Apostle Paul, who was an amazing man in the fact that everything in his life, Pleasures, uh, 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 achievements, successes, victories, all of those things, Paul kind of, he just said, you know, I count them as dumb. They're all useless. The only thing that I value in my life is winning Christ. And these guys are impressive men. Even some of the ladies in the Bible put me to shame, to be real honest with you with their amount of faith that they exhibited, just total trust in the Lord. And so, sometimes it's hard for me to fully identify and see areas that I can improve and say, yeah, I I can be like Him. And I don't believe we ought to make our life uh, uh, applicable or or bend our life to uh, to the shape of some of the men in the Bible. I believe if we have one true example in the Bible, it's Jesus Christ. But man, I'm a long way short of Him as well. So when I come to someone in the Bible who I see maybe doesn't have so many things going for him, I mean, no, no real thing special or in particular about him that somebody would say, wow, look at what he's done or look at what he's got. My eyes drawn to them because even though I know God created me for this grand purpose, sometimes I feel very mediocre at best. And so when I kind of find one of these guys in the Bible, I look forward to studying his life. But I want to show you this morning how a mediocre man became a hero. And I believe everyone in this room this morning has within themselves the power to be someone's hero. Amen. Let me introduce you to the guy who we're going to be speaking about this morning. Acts chapter 6. Uh, I want to introduce you in verse number 2. We'll, we'll begin there. The Bible says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles gathered around and said, Man, the church is getting too big. We need to find somebody who may be able to do the daily tasks that the church requires. But uh, uh, these guys aren't going to be preachers. They're not going to be uh, prophets per se. They're just going to be normal men. And, and we're going to pick them out. But, but the Bible does say that they had to be uh, of honest report. Meaning... Other people outside of the church had to respect them. Did you know that your Christian character transfers outside these walls? Did you know that every person you work with notices whether or not you have Christian morality? Whether or not you speak like a Christian? Whether you act like a Christian? And anytime you don't act like a Christian, they hold you to a higher standard when you don't. 
These men had to be of honest report. They had to be full of the Holy Ghost. And, and, and just up front, I think that this is one of the grandest achievements of any Christian that you can do is being a man full of the Holy Ghost. It means prioritizing God and His will in your life over your own will. It's any time that He says, go here, and your flesh says, go, go there, you listen to the Holy Ghost. And these men did that. They were uh, men of good report. They were men full of the Holy Ghost, and they were men full of wisdom. Wisdom is choosing to have God's will. It is choosing to uh, submit your knowledge and your intellect and your experience to the wisdom of God. And these were the type of men that had it. Now, who were these men? Well, the Bible says in verse number 5, And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And if you study Stephen's life, he is a remarkable Christian in the Bible. But here's our study this morning. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Pumbaa didn't make it, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Well, you have here Stephen, a man full of faith, but then you have a guy who follows. Not a preacher, not a prophet. Nothing remarkable about him except the fact that he was a man of good report. He was a man full of the Holy Ghost, and he was a man full of wisdom. His name's Philip. You see, Philip was a consecrated man. God asks every child of his to be consecrated to him. And did you know that you are capable of consecrating your life to God? Man, in a world that we live in where sin is so prominent and so prevalent, it feels like it is an uphill battle every day to be close to God. To shun the wicked things of this world and to submit our life to the holiness of God, it's difficult, but did you know that God has made you fully capable of it? He's given you every tool you need. This week, as I was on vacation, I unloaded my boat into the river there, and I was going to do a little fishing, and just so turned out that when I pulled my trailer out of the water, the boards on my boat trailer broke. And so I had a boat in the water, and I had a trailer that wasn't able of hauling a boat. And so I really had no choice but to fix the boat. You know what I had to go buy in order to fix the boat trailer? Oh, I had to buy the lumber, obviously. I had to buy the supplies to fix the boat trailer. But I had to buy tools. Did you know God's given you every tool you need to be consecrated to Him? He's given you His Holy Spirit, which guides you into every truth that you may ever encounter. He's given you His Holy Spirit to illuminate God's Word to you, which uh, we have a better uh, inspiration than any of the apostles had. We have a more sure Word. We have the Word of God. It's like every morning when we wake up, we find God's will for our life in this book. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's Word. And we have God's church. Some of you say, well, I could use a better one of those. (laughs) Yeah, probably. You need a better pastor, no doubt. Uh, 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 Red-headed pastor is the one I'm talking about here. But truly, we are a blessed people. God has given us His Word. God has given us His Spirit. God has given us His church. You are completely capable of being consecrated to Him. So we kind of have what Philip was going on. We can be like Philip in this regard. Not only was he a consecrated man, he was a courageous man. Look in chapter 8. 
Now, if you know anything about the end of chapter 6 and the uh, entirety of chapter 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church. Stephen, a man of full of faith, uh, is they set up false witness against him, and they basically run him out of town and stone him. It's an amazing story, but you have to understand as we study Philip's life, the times that Philip was a Christian. It was not easy to be Philip. It was not an easy time to be a Christian. Verse number 1 of chapter 8, And Saul was consenting unto his death. That's Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into, the, into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Verse number 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. What would have been easy for Philip to do is just become a hermit. To just withdraw himself from the ministry of preaching. To just say, you know what, times are tough and I'm sure that things will kind of calm down if we just kind of let it all rest. And I won't preach and they won't persecute and then when we all can get along, I'll, I'll go on and be the Christian that God has called me to be. No, in the face of persecution, Philip was a courageous man. Uh, Philip was facing the imminent threat of Saul just knocking on his door one day and dragging him out of his home and taking him to, to, to jail or, or in, in Stephen's case, to the stoning line. Man, this was a tough time to be a Christian. And yet Philip was courageous. We in America are blessed. Would you agree with me? We do not face the threat of physical punishment. We do not face the threat of imprisonment for our beliefs. In fact, although the world is getting farther and farther from biblical values, at least we are allowed to have biblical values and to voice those values. And just as many people have wicked picket signs, you are allowed to have righteous picket signs in our land. You don't face near the difficulty Philip faced. And yet, just the... Slight fear of shame has silenced so many Christians. Oh man, I would hate for somebody to look at me like I was a lesser person because I'm a Christian. We say, oh, I wouldn't, wanna, I wouldn't want somebody to judge me because of my beliefs. Hey, they're judging you for your beliefs whether or not you voice them or not. Philip was a courageous man. You can be courageous as well. The Bible says the righteous are bold is a line. You know why the righteous are bold? Because they're righteous. They're not bold because they have some uh, 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 Kool-Aid they drink in the morning. They're not bold because they eat Flintstone vitamins. They're not bold because they read the Word of God and they're like, man, look at what God can do so I can be bold because God will have... No, they're bold because they're righteous. You're allowed, you can be consecrated and you can be courageous. I want to share with you also, uh, he was compliant. Uh, look in verse number 4. The Bible says, Therefore they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word of God. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. 
And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. One of the last things that Jesus Christ said on this earth was in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. And the Bible tells us that we would receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria, which just so happens to be the place that Philip was ministering. And to all the world, the Bible tells us. And despite the persecution, despite all the things that could have, just the excuses that could have been made, Philip said, I will preach Christ. He was compliant. One of the things, now this is pretty remarkable. You want to know, how many of us agree this morning that Jesus was all-knowing when he was on this earth? He could know the thoughts of the Pharisees that were sitting across the table before they ever voiced those thoughts. I believe he knew all when he was on this earth. And yet there was one thing our Lord could not figure out. Now how could God in the flesh not know something? He posed this question one day. And it was almost as if his mind could not wrap itself around this thought. How can you call me Lord and do not the things which I say? He couldn't figure it out. He didn't understand how somebody would honor him with calling him their Lord, and yet they wouldn't do what he asked. Let me ask you, are you being faithful to do what God has asked in, in the terms of sharing the gospel with those around you? God's asked you to do it. In fact, he's given you a commandment to do it. And I wonder if in heaven, Christ doesn't sit down and just say, how can they sing those songs? How can they call me Lord? How can they show up to church with their heads held high, and yet they never speak of me in their daily life? Philip was a courageous man. Philip was a compliant man. Philip was a consecrated man. And did you know that you can be all of those things? It doesn't take some special juice. It it really is as simple as committing your life to Christ. Philip was a normal guy who became a hero. And this morning I want to study a passage of Scripture and see what he did to become so heroic. I want you to see this in verse number 26 of chapter 8. We begin our passage of study this morning. Acts 8, verse 26. The Bible said, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and behold, uh, and he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to uh, Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. 
And like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. As they went on their way, they came uh, uh, unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd be with us this morning as we study the life of Philip. Lord, help us to understand that Philip was a normal man who did incredible things for you. May we see how we can become like Philip and be someone's hero. I ask that you would allow us to see this this morning in the name of your son. Amen. Now, I've mentioned already that this last week I got to spend some time with my family on vacation. And uh, that means that me and my sister Mandy, my wife Amy, and Craig, my brother-in-law, went down on vacation even before my parents arrived. Now, if you don't know Craig, he's a great guy. Craig's a unique fella, though, I must admit. The other day when we were in the hospital, uh, and uh, my dad was there, and he's laying on the bed, and, and he was not feeling well, a nurse came in, and Craig just so happened to be in the room. And it just so happened that this is the same hospital that Craig works at. This young lady comes into the room, and, and there she stands. She goes, Craig! doing there? And Craig, you know, Craig's all there decked out in his Ninja Turtle gear. And, uh, uh, and she's like, you're so silly, Craig. And, uh, and then another nurse came in later when Craig wasn't there. She's like, oh, I love Craig. I love going to his office. He's got all his little toys on the, on the deal there. It's just, maybe you don't know, but Craig loves anything to do with comic books. Okay. Craig goes to Comic-Con, which I didn't know what that was to be honest with you, but it's comic convention. Craig loves all those things, superhero movies. He loves Star Trek. He loves Star Wars. I'm not sure which one more. I, I don't know, but Craig loves these types of things. And so this week, I have talked more about superheroes and Pokemon and Ninja Turtles than I ever wanted to in my entire life. I've had a great time with Craig this week. I, too, myself, though, do enjoy a good superhero movie. I enjoy the battle between the hero and the villain. You know what makes someone a hero? A willingness to put someone else before their self. Every hero must. And in this passage today, I see a man who was very normal but was willing to serve others before he served himself. I want to study this man's life. Look with me first of all this morning. What made Philip a hero? Oh, he was looking for opportunities to serve. Look here in verse number 5 of Acts chapter 8. He was looking for somewhere to serve. And did you know that if you look for somewhere to serve, you're bound to find one? Verse number 5 says, uh, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. 
Now we know by the, the, the reference of the passage and the context of the passage that Philip was in Jerusalem at the time that Saul was persecuting the church. Saul's persecution was concentrated there in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that uh, Philip went down to Samaria. And that only assures us that he was, in fact, in Jerusalem at the time of Paul's uh, persecution or, or Saul's persecution of the church. You see, Samaria, the region, and Samaria, the city, are north of Jerusalem. Then why would the Bible tell us that Philip went down to Samaria? Well, it's because the highest elevation in that region is right on top of Mount Zion, which just so happens to be where Jerusalem's built. So whether Philip had gone north, whether he had gone east, whether he had gone south, whether he had gone west... Philip would have had to go down, and the Bible is accurate in saying that. Philip went down to Samaria. When his message was being snuffed out in Jerusalem, he was willing to relocate himself to become an effective minister. Now look in verse number 26 of this passage. The Bible tells us that he started in Jerusalem. He travels to Samaria, the city, and then verse 26 tells us, and the next day, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm reading in verse number, uh, chapter number 7, chapter number 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So, he starts in Jerusalem. Everybody with me? He travels north to the city of Samaria. And then the Bible tells us in verse number 25, I believe it was, uh, uh, they return to Jerusalem and God calls him to go down to Gaza. All right? So he goes north, back to Jerusalem. He goes south when God calls him. He was looking for somewhere to preach the Word of God. Now, this would be kind of like you coming to visitation, all right? You come into visitation on a Saturday morning. See, when I hear all these Bible names and all these Bible places, I don't know where they're all at, and so it's kind of hard for me to really identify with where he would have been going. So this would be like you coming to visitation one morning. You say, Brother Marshall, I have time to make two visits. Okay, I have a visit. He says, I have a visit at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. And you say, well, I can deal with that. His name's Jerry Jones. No, <laughs> I have a visit for you to make at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Okay, well, I can do that. And I also have a visit in Stephenville. Okay, you say, Brother Marshall, you realize those are completely different directions. Right, Arlington is north, and Stephenville is kind of southwest. Well, those are the two visits I have for you. Do you want to make them or not? Well, I'm already here, I guess I'll make them. And then you go out to the parking lot to find that your car is broken down. You go to start it and click, 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 click. Your car won't start. And you come to Brother Marshall and you say, Brother Marshall, my car won't start. I can't make these visits now. And he says, well, they didn't have cars in the Bible. <laughs> hey, geographically, this is an accurate picture of what, Stephen would have, or what Philip would have had to do. See, Samaria is about 32 miles north of Jerusalem. 
And Gaza, and the Bible doesn't say he has to go all the way to Gaza, but the Bible does say he had to go toward Gaza to a desert place. Uh, regardless, the Bible tells us that that's the direction he was headed. And that was about, uh, about 60 miles southwest. So this would literally be like you coming to church on a Saturday. Hey, I want to go make some visits. Your car won't start and you have to walk to Jerry World and then walk to Tarleton to make visits. You say, there's no way I'd do that. Philip did. On Google Maps, it would take you approximately 10 hours and 44 minutes to walk from this church to Jerry World. It would take you slightly longer than that to walk to Stephenville. And yet, that is what Philip was willing to do to serve. Man, we, we feel so inconvenienced when we're asked to come up on a day of the week that we're not normally at church. Well, Brother Andrew, I don't know if I really want to give you my Saturday. That's my only day off. Me too. I don't know if I want to, I don't want to know if I want to come up and serve. Well, Philip was looking for a place to serve. I like the story of Batman. Right, I don't necessarily like Batman the Super. Have you ever thought the only thing that made him special was a utility belt? <laughs> right? But, so he's a police officer. Right? Because they have the belts. Batman's not my favorite superhero, but I do love this. When they needed him, they looked to the sky for the light. Right? And when his light was going, he was there. Do you know the light for Christians is always shining? Do you know there's always a sinner just moments from hell? Did you know there's always somebody right on the brink of death? Did you know there's always somebody that needs to hear the glorious message of the gospel? Did you know somebody always needs to know that there's a Savior that loves them and died for them? The light for Christians is always shining. And yet we're too busy thinking about what we've got going on. And we need to be a little bit more like Philip and just say, I want somewhere to serve, wherever it may be. Philip was a man who was looking for somewhere to serve. Secondly, he saw the value of a single soul. Now Philip's life takes a unique pattern, if you will. Look in verse number 5 of chapter 8. The Bible tells us, and we've looked here already, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. The people. Now, I don't know how many that is. But the people gave heed with one accord unto the things which he spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out, many that were possessed with them, and many taken with the palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, I've read the Bible many times, and that has all the signs it takes for a real revival. I mean, the city is joyous that people are getting saved. Philip goes to Samaria and revival breaks out. He returns to Jerusalem and God calls him to go down towards Gaza. And I want you to see this in verse number 27. And he arose and, and I don't know what Philip was expecting. Maybe he was expecting another revival. Maybe he was expecting for 
the Gazans to just, just be extremely glad that everybody's getting saved. But the Bible says, and he rose and went, and behold, a man, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to uh, Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chair, read Esaias the prophet, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Look, Philip is just coming off of a great revival in Samaria, right? The whole city was glad he came. I mean, they were probably thanking him. They're coming up to him, Brother Philip, thank you, I'm so glad. We've been praying for my grandmother, and she's, she's not well, and yet she got saved, and, and we're so glad. Brother Philip, because you came to our town, uh, my grandmother got saved, I got saved, my child got saved, and her daughter got saved. Philip, because you came, four generations of my family, Philip, we're so glad. Look at our city. The sin's gone. It's cleaned up. Philip, man, thanks. My friend here, he was sick. And you cast out the demon. My friend here, man, it was a great revival. Brother Philip, thank you for coming to Samaria. And then God calls him down towards Gaza. What was Philip expecting? I don't know. But I have to believe he wasn't expecting a man. One. If you look at Philip's resume, he's more qualified than just individual soul winning. I mean, Philip needs a grand platform, not a private chariot. And yet, Philip saw the value of a single soul. It's kind of funny, but as preachers, especially as pastors, we want to do as much as we can for the glory of God. And frankly, I don't ever look at the numbers. I never look at how much our offering is. I never look at how many people were present today. I don't even look at it in the youth department. I don't want to ever take pride in our numbers, okay? So I I don't care too much for that. But for the glory of God, it would do my heart good if the church began to fill up and and, and people began to uh, consecrate their lives to God. And as a pastor, that's what I want. I want our church to grow spiritually and I want our church to grow numerically as a result of spiritual growth. I don't care about nickels and noses, but I do care about Christians becoming better Christians. This morning, if there is a country church, say in Kentucky somewhere, and they meet, and there's five in the auditorium, and that preacher gets up and he speaks with his Kentucky slang, and and he mentions the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and there in the back... Somebody took the time to stop by a young child's house and they brought him to church. He only came because of the bribe of candy, but it just so happens he gets way more than that in service. And when the preacher says, I ask this question every week, but is there someone here that doesn't know they're on their way to heaven and would like to know before they leave today? And that young boy raises his hand and he walks the aisle And somebody takes a Bible and shares with him how he can know for sure that he won't have to spend eternity in hell but in heaven. Did you know that there's more joy in that in heaven than there is if every one of you were righteous and every one of you were living a consecrated life? And did you know that our church is not a trophy case but our church ought to be a hospital? Did you know that Jesus himself says this? 
I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than ninety-nine just persons. What we've done is we've devalued the value of a soul. We've stopped realizing that every bus kid that raises their hand makes an eternal difference. Not only was it an eternal difference, it was an expensive cost. Every soul that's ever been saved has taken the precious blood of Jesus Christ to redeem. We are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Every soul is eternal, and every soul is expensive. And when we look at those things in Scripture, we ought to realize, friend, that every soul is important to God. I wonder if Philip, standing there looking at that chariot, sees a man from Ethiopia, and he thinks, just one? (laughs) But God, I've been working on this sermon. God, I've been doing all this. God, I've even been preaching to myself in the mirror. God, I have been polishing my act. And God says, I don't need your act. I need you to value the soul of that Ethiopian eunuch. Church, we need to become less polished. Uh, Brother Sean came to me this morning. Brother Andrew, I hate to give you bad news, but I don't think we're going to have the screens this morning. I said, we don't need them. I'm sitting back there on the back row and, and the speaker back there is popping just right during the choir special. And I'm like, that's annoying. You know what? We need less polish. We need to stop worrying about the program. We need to stop worrying about the schedule. And we need to start trying to worship God and trying to see sinners saved. We need to stop worrying about our routine and focus on the lost souls of mankind. And if a good choir special helps them get saved, then let's have good choir specials. And if a good song before the sermon helps them get saved, then let's have good songs. But we have to realize that everything in the service is not so that we can have glory or so that not that we can have a good performance. Everything culminates in the regeneration of lost souls to God. Man, the church has lost its way in this regard. Preachers think they're successful when they have somebody come up to them and say, Preacher, what a great sermon. Nobody gets saved. We've lost our way, church. And we, like Philip, need to see the value in just one lost soul. He was looking for a place to serve. He saw the value in a single soul, and this is very important today. He did not allow anything to stand in the way of his mission. You know, that's what a superhero does. They have a mission, and no matter what comes in their path, they still accomplish the mission. Notice this. This is very unique. The Bible says that Philip sees the Ethiopian eunuch there in his chariot. The Bible says in verse 28 that the eunuch was returning. Now, that's an action verb, okay? When I've read this story in the past, this is what I've imagined. The chariot stopped under a shade tree and the eunuch reading Isaiah. But verse 28 gives us an action verb. Verse 29 gives us an indication that maybe the chariot was actually on the move. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip, what's the next word there? Ran. 
Could you imagine being chilled out under a shade tree reading a book and some fool running up on you? That would be a very weird time to have someone run up to you. Why would he run? If it was parked, could he have not walked? I'm I'm just giving you an indication that maybe the chariot was actually moving. Verse 31 says, And he said, How can I accept that some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, why would Philip had to get in the chariot if it was sitting still? I think there's pretty good indication that the chariot never was stopped. Even verse 36 tells us, And as they went on their way. So, we find that even though Philip is now in the chariot, the chariot's still rolling. As they went on their way. I think you can make more of a biblical case that the chariot was actually rolling and traveling than you could that it was ever parked. And yet, God says to Philip, Philip, go down and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip's on the hilltop saying, God, you going to make it stop? I mean, I ain't in the shape that I used to be in. No, Philip ran to that chariot. Here's what I would have done. And this is a real indictment on my Christianity. Well, God, I know that you want me to witness to him, but if you really want me to witness to him, you'll make his chariot have a flat. Right? Don't we beg and plead for God to give us some sign that that person might need to hear the gospel? Oh, God, show me that they need you. Well, they're a sinner, lost and undone, and on their way to hell. Is that not revelation enough for you? Look, Philip had to run. And here's what it was. There was a tremendous case for Philip to just have an excuse. He could have said, eh, it's just one. I just got done at a huge revival. Man, a lot of souls were saved. They were all standing still, and now i got to catch this chariot. How many of y'all have ever seen a Western movie where the train is moving or the stagecoach is moving and the cowboys have to chase down the stagecoach or the train? Right, That's what's going on, and Philip has to become the guy chasing down. Could you imagine being the eunuch inside the chariot reading Isaiah and seeing this guy, Wait for me! Wait for me! (laughs) No, go faster! Go faster! This is kind of a crazy story. And yet Philip didn't allow any excuse to stand in his way of his obedience to God. Did you know this? You have to be where sinners are to talk and witness to sinners. If Philip stayed on the hilltop, he never encounters the man reading Isaiah. If Philip stays under the shade tree, he never gets to talk and lead this man to Christ. Oh, we're shade tree Christians. God, if you want me to witness to somebody, bring them along my path. How about you jump in their path? I'm just telling you this morning, it's not always easy to find sinners that uh, 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 try eluding the gospel. I love stories. Many, Many of you have heard this story, but I love the story of our bus workers going and knocking on bus parents' houses only to see the bus parents running out the back door. Or you hear, you knock on the door. Oh, 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 
They don't want you so bad they shot their dog. Okay? They don't want to hear what you said. They, 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 they uh, uh, suffocated their dog so you wouldn't know that they were home. Man, I've seen it. I've heard it. And then you hear, you'll hear like the TV. Knock, 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 knock. Mute. Look, if you've ever gone on soul winning or visitation, you know it's true. Sinners don't always want to be spoken to. And it just so happens in this passage, this one did. And you know, I've encountered sinners who were very interested about what we believed. You know, I've encountered sinners that wondered why I came to church every, three times every week, why I did what I did, why I lived the way that I lived. Sinners, you have to be in the way of sinners so that they don't go to hell. What we need to do, Christian, is we need to stand like one of those guys at the runway at the airport with, with those, those shining beacons in our hand, and if somebody's going to go to hell, they're going to do it over our dead body. We stand in the runway on the track to hell saying, Wait! Wait! You don't have to go this way! Jesus Christ died for you! That's what we need to be, Christians. My daughter is getting far more inquisitive. My daughter, Caitlin, she is now two years and I think eight months or so. She's starting to, uh, her vocabulary is starting to expand and she's becoming smarter than me and she does not know it yet. But my daughter has revealed something to me. I'll tell her that she can't have something. For instance, this is a conversation we have daily at my house. Daddy, I want your phone. And then I say, that's not how we ask. Okay. She says, Daddy, please, can I have your phone? And I say, that's how I want her to ask. And I say, no. And she says, why? And I say, well, you don't need a phone. And she says, why? And I say, well, because if you look at the phone too long, it will hurt your eyes. And she says, why? And I say, well, because God designed your eyes not to look at a two-by-seven-inch screen the whole day. God designed your eyes to look out at the beauties that he's created. Why? Well, Caitlin, because God is wise and and God knew how he wanted to design us and, and God created us exactly how he wanted to. Why? And before I know it, I am in some deep theological conversation with a two-year-old over why she can't have my phone, and now I'm talking about God's sovereignty and matters of creation. I'm telling you, it's true. It's happened to me dozens of times. And you know what I've realized? Most of the time when I don't want her to have my phone, it's just because I have. And I'm making up excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And before I know it, I'm getting deeper than even I know how to explain to her in the Bible. But I've noticed that every excuse at the core of it is an agenda. For instance, in this little phone conversation, my agenda is I want to be looking at Twitter. Now, I'm not going to tell her that. Because my eyes, it's not good for my eyes to look at the phone any longer than it is hers. 
But just her small inquisition as to why she can't have the phone is revealed to me that every excuse has at the core of it my own agenda. You know the only thing that we do as Christians? We sit there and we'll say, well, the preacher will go soul winning. That's an excuse. Well, I'm going to invest my time in more important matters like family time. That's an excuse. Well, I can't give up my one day a week. It's an excuse. And at the core of every excuse, there's an agenda. And most of the agenda is this. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too fearful. Or I don't want to give up my time. And you know what those excuses do? They dismiss you from ever becoming a hero. You know my hero? The men that took the Bible and showed me how I could be saved. My hero is a man who stood behind this wooden desk for years and years and preached the gospel, the same gospel, an unchanging gospel, one that hasn't needed to change because it was always perfect and will always be perfect. Those are my heroes. My heroes are the men that come down to these front rows every Sunday morning and uh, sit there ready with their Bible open, waiting to show somebody the plan of salvation. Those are my heroes. But yet many of us excuse ourselves from the duties of being a hero, not because we're not qualified. Philip was in every way just like you. But Philip was willing to become someone's hero. What's your excuse? You just not open to somewhere to serve? You just, hey, Brother Andrew, I just don't know if I'm qualified. Everyone is qualified in some way to serve somewhere. Or have you maybe devalued the value of a soul? Oh, surely me working at the church wouldn't make any internal difference. Man, the other day I was talking to one of the ladies in the kitchen at junior camp, and she said, I can't give much money, but I can always serve. Or maybe, just maybe, you're allowing other things to get in the way of your omission. Maybe it's daily life, maybe it's occupation, maybe it's hobbies, maybe it's family. I don't know, but your mission has always been the same. Are you going to be somebody's hero? 